Generation Church, based in the beautiful Rex Theater in the heart of downtown Pensacola, Florida. Our hope is that today's teaching will encourage and equip you to be firm in faith, to fulfill the call of God in your life, and to finish well. Grab your Bible, open up your notes app, and let's dive in. Psalm 122, a song of a sense of David. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. There, thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brother's sake and companion's sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. This is the word of the Lord. Father, I I thank you that um, you are here with us. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for being in us. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would instruct us and teach us that we would learn and grow. As the word says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for reproof and correction and instruction in righteousness. That the man of God, that we would be perfect, thoroughly furnished to all good works. I ask that, that God, that we would be inspired by your word this morning and that we would learn and grow. Lord, I'm very aware that the crowd here right now is not the first service, different people. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you would speak individually to each, each person, uh, that your will would be done. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, this is the second part of a six-part series called Journey Up, as Pastor Louise said in the introduction. We're looking at the Psalm of Ascents, um, and it's Psalms 120 through 134. There's 15 psalms in this portion of Psalm Scriptures. Uh, the first two weeks ago, during my transition, you know, sometimes I'll come up after worship service, I call that, we call that kind of a time of transition, uh, I spoke on repentance because that first psalm is about repentance. You know, that's how we start our walk, right? We want a repentant heart. I talked about how in Romania, it was a bad word, <laughs> you know, like pokaits, you know, you'll be, you're a repenter. No, it's a good thing <laughs> to have a repentant heart to God. And then last week, uh, Pastor Luis um, unpacked 121. And that was more on trust. Uh, three times a year, the Hebrews, they would make a pilgrimage and they would ascend to Jerusalem for the festivals. Uh, and on this journey, they would refresh their memories of how God did so many things in their lives. I can picture parents taking their kids and grandmas and grandpas and flooding up to Jerusalem. And, uh, and you know, maybe they were talking about how they were delivered from Egypt. Hey, let me tell you a story. And so they're, they were, they were, they were, as they were ascending, they were refreshing their memories, you know, how God preserved them in the wilderness. Wow, we were never, des- you know, we were never destitute. God fed us, you know. I can imagine how those prayers, uh, how the conversations would have been. The fact that their identity was defined at Sinai, you know, where they got the law. And so there's just so many stories, I'm sure, as they're, as they're journeying, journeying up to the, a Feast of Pentecost or Passover Tabernacles. And so they would remind them. 
um, that they were people that were chosen by God to follow his ways. They were, they were separate. Uh, they were to forsake all other nations and people and religions, the world, and they were to be separate. In those days, it was very common to take a piece of wood, carve it, that became your God, you stick it up on a shelf, and that's now your God, you worship it. Maybe it's something made by clay or whatever, that becomes your God. So there were many, many, many gods. So this idea of one God of, the, of, of, the, of, of Israel, of the Hebrews, was, wow, really, like one God? You're only going to trust in one? <laughs> well, he happens to be the God, the creator of heaven and earth. And so um, they actually were trumping uh, any other thought but they were a separated people. Now, in our journey as Christ's followers, it's important that we recognize that there's the world's way and there's God's way. Now, this is very, very important as believers, that this is always first and foremost in your mind, that there's the world's way of doing things and that there's God's way. So when you wake up in the morning, like, I'm going to be bombarded today by all this, but then there's, there's God's way. I love this scripture. Um, I re- read it quite often and make no apologies for it. Uh, but this scripture is very in- instructive. But I want you to see uh, how many times the world is mentioned. So, First uh, John says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. Anything. I, I like to think, what you, you know, you can make a God of anything. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life comes not from the Father but from the world. The world and its desires or pleasures, one, one translation says, The world and its desires will pass away, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. And those those three things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is probably every imaginable sin can be thought of in in those three things. So let me, let's look at the world just to, what is it, what do you really mean by the world? So the world refers to the, uh, a, humanistic system that is at odds with God. That's simply what it means. That's the world. Um, obviously, the real world, you know, the, the beautiful trees and the ocean, that world, we, we're, we're stewards of it. We want to take care of it, right? Second Corinthians tells us that Satan is the God of this world. He won't always be, but for now, he's the God of this world with his own value system, um, and his value system is contrary to God's, right? He's a liar. The world is what we leave when we come to Christ. We leave it. Loving the world is being devoted to the world's treasures. That's loving the world. Uh, whatever those treasures might be. The philosophies of the world, the priorities of the world, God tells us to set our priorities according to His eternal value system. That's the most important thing. Matthew 6 says that we are to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. 
That's the first thing that we see. Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. It's really about obedience. Okay, so what's righteous? Well, that's the word. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to you and allowing the Holy Spirit to speak into your life and whatever that, whatever that looks like, right? According to God's word. Second Peter 2, verse 9 and 10 says, But you, let me tell you what you are. You are a chosen people. Isn't that exciting that you're chosen? From the beginning of time, God chose you. You're a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may do what? Declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His light. And once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. And once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Matthew 6, Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. You can't be devoted to God and the world, or let me just say, because he says mammon there, the monetary system of the world. You can't be devoted to God and mammon, the world. You're either going to hate one and love the other. So there's this tension that we will always feel in this life between this world and God's kingdom. And uh, it's just being aware of it, right? When we become citizens of another kingdom and our desires are turned heavenward, we store up eternal treasure and we realize what's truly eternal and temporal. The bottom line is this. We stop loving the world. When you really dig in, you stop loving the world. Loving the world, it cripples your growth. It renders you, your spiritual growth fruitless. Jesus takes it a step further. He says, in John 12, he says, anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So the world is an evil system that's controlled by Satan, and it leads us away from the worship of God. The, the world's way, or the spiritual atmosphere the world promotes, it erodes our faith. It's a constant erosion. It's an, an undermining of what's true and right. Um, I get the picture of, I saw it the other day, a beautiful mansion on a, on a hill by the ocean, and maybe they built it in the wrong place, or they weren't aware what type of soil there was, but... Through the years, the waves, or maybe it was a hurricane or storm, it just keeps beating against that mountain. And that's what the waves of life does. It, it wants to erode you. It wants to erode your faith. And it erodes it so many times that sometimes it hits it and it hits it. It begins to, it begins to destroy the mountain. And then, sure enough, you have a beautiful home that eventually falls into the ocean. Potentially, that person put every dime 
of their money, their effort, their everything. They put it into that home, and now it's gone. If you remember, in 2012, we had that terrible flood. In 2004 was, of course, Hurricane Ivan. It did a ton of damage. But if you remember, in 2012, we had a rainfall in Pensacola that was one of the largest rainfalls in the United States for like the last 100 years. I mean, it was amazing how much water we got in one day. And um, I can remember uh, where, where we lived, an entire street was gone. And there was nothing but a chasm in front of homes. And as the water came down and destroyed the asphalt and sucked up under it, it went across the street, it went under the foundation of another home, probably a million-dollar home, and literally they had to tear the house down and rebuild it because it destroyed the foundation of that home. And that's what erosion does. Jesus said they were to build our house, our life, on a firm foundation, a solid foundation. Now, Matthew 7 talks about that, and it says, therefore. Now, I'm going to address the therefore in a second, because as we know, therefore is therefore a reason. So, but I want to read the scripture. It says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, and they put them into practice, again, so it's about obedience, guys, puts them into practice, is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds, they blew and they beat against that house. And yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice... In other words, they lack obedience. It's like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew, beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Waves erode our faith. The waves of life, they will erode. And that's what Satan wants to do to you. He wants to erode your faith. The foolish man is not on a journey of long obedience in the same direction. It's like, you know, obedience really needs to be your default. So many people live their life, and it's like, what can I get away with? If you change your mindset, and you go, God, what do you want from me? Because you only want good for me. And, and I want my default to be what's true and what's right. I'm going to tell you, you're going to live a lot more fruitful of a life. God's way is a life of long obedience in the same direction, not five steps forward, ten steps back, three steps forward, four steps forward, you're on a roll, five steps forward, twelve steps back. Like, it's a long journey of obedience and faithfulness. It's a, it's a journey. And I love that word journey because it's like it takes the pressure off you because you know it's long. And let me tell you what, you're going to wake up tomorrow and there's going to be problems. There's going to be issues. There's going to be things. But the question is, is when do you say enough's enough and I'm going to have faith in God for this particular situation? When is enough enough? So in order to 
recognize the pitfalls and resist the world's way and live God's way, there's two important uh, biblical positions, or I want to say designations, for people of faith. Um, the first is, is a disciple. Now, on week one, uh, last week, Pastor Louise talked a little bit about this. So I was going to skip this. But as I knew that I wanted to talk about this whole thing about the world, because it's so important, right? It's where we live. And if you don't have the right concept of, of God's way and the world's way and this constant tension that you're always going to feel in your life, then, you know, you're, you're going to lose and, and, uh, and not be productive. So what position do I have to take to really understand that? Well, I'm sure there's many, but here's a couple. Number one is to be a disciple. A disciple spends their life apprenticed to the master, Jesus Christ. It's an apprenticeship. You're not going to get it all at once. That's why we come to church. It's why we grow. It's why we read a book. It's why we read the Bible. It's an apprenticeship to your final home one day. Now, apprenticeship isn't a word that's used very often. An apprentice learns and gains Valuable knowledge working with someone who's skilled. You're gaining knowledge from someone who's most likely been doing the task many, many years. I love watching people skilled in what they do. If I have someone maybe come to my house and repair something or a rental property or something like that, I love watching them. And sometimes I'll even tell them, listen, I'm not really checking up on you, although I am a lot of times. Um, I'm watching you because it's so interesting to me. And that's how I learn and I grow. You learn from people that really know what they're doing and that takes time. It's a journey. That's why we have to have patience, right? With people that are maybe at a different place on their journey and you love people through that journey. Um, you don't beat them down. We love people through the journey. Um, so, you are a disciple. You are an apprentice. My, I was having a conversation the other day with my brother-in-law, and uh, my my his his dad, my father-in-law, who's now with the Lord. That man could fix anything. Uh, now I know that there's a lot of people that are really good with their hands, and they got tools. You know, I got my truck with my tools, and I, there's a lot. There's a lot that I get. But he was brilliant when it came to repairing things. Uh, he could diagnose a problem by just listening to it. The man worked a crossword puzzle every, every day of his life, so he had a lot of knowledge and, uh, about a lot of things. Um, and, you know, I remember he, D David was telling me that, that my father-in-law said to him, listen, if you ever want to give up your profession, which David is actually a pastor uh, and uh, a great guy, he said, if you ever want to give up your pro profession... Just come to the lake, because he lived on a lake, and he would repair outboard engines. And he had so much work that he didn't know what to do with it all. He, David would say, uh, you know, he'd, get a, he'd, be at the, he'd be at the lake, and the phone would ring, and my father-in-law, who's retired, right, at this point, doesn't really want to work, would go, you know, someone would call, tell him what they want. I need my outboard engine rebuilt, which, you know, these days takes computers, laptops, it's not like your old four-barrel carburetor, right? We're talking intricate stuff. And, he, you know, oh, you're 12th on the list. He had so much work, he didn't know what to do. He told me, like, if you want to 
If you want to learn, just come here and you'll, you'll never, ever want for money because that's an apprenticeship. I'm gonna, that's why it's important who you hang with. I want to be apprenticed by, by, well, first of all, the Holy Spirit, by God's Word, but by people that maybe have been walking this life a little bit longer, just a little bit longer, gone through different things in their life. You know, <laughs> I used to say, I tell myself this all the time, I would say, when I was in my 30s, I would say, there's not a chance I would do what I did in my 20s. And then I got 40, and I'm like, there ain't no way I would do that when I was in my 30s. Then I got 50, and I was like, man, I can't believe I did that in my 40s. I'm only 62. I got into the 60, and I'm like, I did that in my 50s? You know, the longer you live, the longer you grow, it's a journey that there's things that you learn in life to become more like Jesus, less of yourself, less pride, less this, to realize that this is a very, very short life. Very, very short life. And we put everything that we can into this world and not understand that one day we will be judged for what God gave us. That's about stewardship, right? What did I do with my money? Did I invest it into the things of God? Did I maybe go on the missions trip that God was, was, was tugging on me, but something else was more important? You know, It's not a thing of condemnation. It's a thing of, it's a thing of growing. But we are apprentices. A disciple is a learner, not acquiring, inf- acquiring information about God, but the skills of faith. That's what we want in our life. We want to have skills of faith. Because, you know, again, when, when is the day where you're going to have faith for it? Where you're going to say, no, I choose to have faith for that. No. No, I'm, I'm going to believe God's word. God's ultimately in control, but I am going to believe. Now, I've told you about that therefore. Remember, we were talking about a wise man and the building and building your house on a rock. This is what follows it. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. This is one where, a while back I was having a conversation with someone, they were just like, this verse scares me. Uh, But only the one who does the will of my Father. Folks, that is about obedience. You know, it's not about learning the next new thing. Well, you know, the pastor didn't tell me anything new this morning. It's really not about that. It's being obedient to what you always know. What you already know, not always know, what you already know. Like, do you see what I mean? Like, God's, God's put this on my heart, and I'm going to be obedient to that until he gives me the next step. Not, but not everyone who uh, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? You preach. In your name, drive out demons. I've done that. And in your name, perform miracles. Then I will plainly, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. And then it talks about the wise and the foolish builders building their house on a solid rock. Why didn't the house fall? Let me remind you what it said. It said, who hears the words of mine and he puts them into practice. Make no mistake about it. 
What God has put in your heart, what he's speaking to you, you need to do it. You need to be faithful to do that. And if you don't know, then ask God for clarity. That therefore shows us it's about obedience. Now there's another designation that I want to talk about. And I am going to get to Psalms 122. I'm spending a lot of time on my intro. Well, it'll be be timely, trust me. Um, That's the way I do things. Uh, Another position as a believer for a life of faith is that of a pilgrim. A pilgrim is someone who spends their life going someplace. It's going to God, and the path that we take is Jesus Christ. A disciple understands that the world is not my home, and a pilgrim sets out for the Father's house. So we're disciples and we're pilgrims. It's not our home. You will view this life very, very differently when you understand that it's not my home. And I'm just passing through, and it's a very temporary time. Uh, this Hebrews 12, very familiar to all of you. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off every encumbrance and every sin, and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with endurance the race set out for us. We use that in, um, in, in, our, in our growth track when we talk about being uh, firm in faith and fulfilling your call. You have your race. I can't run your race. You have a, isn't it beautiful that God has a, a race designed for you, right? I mean, your thumbprint's not mine. I mean, you are an individual that God's given gifts to, and you're going to reach certain people at certain times. You are, you are a, a voice. So, um, your race. Let us f- do what? Fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners. Why? So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Don't lose heart. You're on a journey. I didn't say this the first service, but I had thought about it when I was reading it. Um, it says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. There's a great story, and I'm going to be very basic on it because I don't know all the details. I actually just read it, but I forget a lot of it. Um, it's an it's a Olympic athlete that was shooting, it's where you're on skis and you have to shoot a target. And he had won like four years in a row and the gold was his. Like there was no question who was going to win, um, who was, who was going to get the gold. And he was way far ahead and he was on his last shot and... He aimed, saw the bullseye perfectly, pulled the trigger, and he nailed it perfectly. And when he lifted up his head, he realized 
that he shot the wrong target. And he didn't get the gold. He made a mistake because he didn't fix his eyes on the right target. So we can go through this life fixing our eyes on a lot of things, but we have to fix our eyes on Jesus. Not our own efforts, not, not what we can do. So, let's talk about Psalms 122. It is a life that's devoted to worship. But I want to specifically say that it's worship in, in regard to one who finds joy and anticipates going to worship God. Because that's what the Israelites were doing. That's what the Hebrews were doing. They were on a journey to meet together. So this isn't about our band and worship. This is about our life is a life of worship, and it's about coming as a congregation. We come together. Why do we do this thing that, that, that the New Testament has talked about and, and we're supposed to do because it's very clear? And so that's what it's about. It's a psalm of what happens when we come together to worship. The first line will catch a lot of people by surprise, Psalms 122. This is um, uh, uh, Eugene Peterson's paraphrased version. It says, when they said, let's go to the house of God, my heart leaped for joy. That's a little convicting. And now we're here, O Jerusalem, inside Jerusalem's walls. Now the ESV in that says, I was glad when they said unto me, right? Let's go to the house of the Lord. I, in, uh, earlier th- this morning, actually when I was here, I decided to look that up in the Strong's, on my Strong's app, which you guys need to get that. You can read the Bible and you can have a question on a word and, and you just go to your concordance app and boom, there it is in Hebrew or Greek. But that word actually means joyful. I was joyful when they said to me to go to the house of the Lord. I was another word that the... That, that the that it uses is I was brightened up. <laughs> like, I was brightened up. I was cheered up when they said to go to the house of the Lord. I rejoiced when they said to go to the house of the Lord. They were going to Jerusalem and they were going to meet together and their hearts were filled with joy and on the journey. Coming together is the single most popular act in the world. There are more people that will go to church on a Sunday all over the world, or whatever day that is for them, all over the world than every sports game combined. Yet a lot of believers really fail to see the need. It's a good time to be here today, isn't it? Because <laughs> you did see the need. Um, I heard one time a statement from someone who was visiting, I believe it was North Korea, and had talked to a, a Christian, and um, he said he didn't quite understand when he had no freedom, he was dumbfounded why so many people in America neglected being able to go worship. Why would they do that? Like, I'm secretly at night, you know, going to a house church. I'm doing something. I'm getting, not a Bible, a page of a Bible. And, you know, it was a a question of why it was neglected. 
when you've been in church a while, especially as a pastor, their reasons and excuses are very many. Uh, in reading the book by Eugene Peterson, he said, he was a pastor for 30 years. He said, now when people come up to me and they ask me, uh, or they tell me why they don't go to church, he goes, I don't answer them anymore. Like, I don't try to say anything. This is uh, older, an older man. He says, I just go home and pray for them. Because it's not really about an answer. Um, now, me in my life, there's been times that, you know, I've had some pretty legit reasons. And perhaps it was work-related earlier on in, my, in our marriage, you know. Uh, as a kid, it was just something that we did. I didn't really ask a lot of questions. I actually really loved going to church, you know. And um, it was just a, such, a, it was such a, a part of my life. Um, so it was, it was ingrained in me. But I think more, more often than not, it really boils down to your heart's desire. Uh, for some, let me get you, let's, let's look at that. For some, it might be more of a rebellious issue. Like, my parents made me go. I was forced to, so I'm not going to go now. All for me, it was really a, I was raised in a very Christian home. I don't even want to say religious because it wasn't religious. It was just a good, wonderful home. And I had great role models. And so it wasn't really that way for me. But some people, you know, I was made to go and I don't want to go now. Uh, maybe there are too many hypocrites. Or sadly worse, how about I'm not good enough? That's a really bad one. Like if you talk to someone, I'm not good enough, man, bring them. Like we're all on a journey. Um, or how about this? It's the only day that I have to sleep in. That's a good one. Um, and, you know, again, I, I want to say legit in a lot of ways. I mean, I'm not, I'm really not of the law. Uh, trust me on this one. A big one is my kids have sports that day. No, it's really about my kids. Like, well, I'm, I'm, you know, like, if it was me, I, I'd have my kids in church. Like, I want them knowing about God more than, than baseball, but, but whatever. Uh, we all run our families how, how we want. Uh, the list is, is endless. Uh, I wrote a few down. <laughs> Busy, tired, the weather, uh, the speaker. Pastor Rogers is flat boring. Uh, what's the point? Uh, I have work. I can study myself at home. It's you know, boring. Uh, uh, I've been hurt. You know, it's really interesting. My wife gave me an article. Uh, we were talking, and we were talking about church hurt. And um, the article was so good, it, I, don't, I don't have time to read it, but it was written by a lady. I think her pastor's a husband, but it was, a, it was, a credible, it was an incredible article. But it really, it was so interesting to me because what a lot of people call church hurt, it's because there's a lot of abuse in the church. There's a lot of pastors that want to manipulate. There's a lot of people that might have the wrong motive. Like, that's, that's true. You know, but what a lot of people don't understand is when you're not in that situation, and it's a church where maybe there's a lot of mercy, there's a lot of grace, and, and God's love is being portrayed, you know, and then, and then, you say something that may be a little bit corrective. And then, and, and how about this? It's according to God's word. Oh, church hurt. And you know what it does? It nullifies the people that were truly hurt in church. They were truly treated wrong. They were abused. And there's such abuse. There can be a, a, abuse in the church. 
But not everything is church hurt. Not everything is church hurt. God's word will be preached in truth and in righteousness. There's rules and guidelines and things that we want to abide by, especially if we're in ministry. Especially if we're leaders. You better believe that there is a standard. You better believe it. So we don't just go all the time and yell, church hurt! Because it nullifies, it, 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 negate, it, it, it negates, not negate or it minimizes, that's a better word, real church hurt. Something that's really, really true. Listen to Hebrews 10, 24, it says, And let us consider how we may spur one another toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. And some, Psalms 122 singles out three items, three items of the benefits of meeting together. Number one, worship gives us a workable structure for life, a workable structure. Verse 3 and 4 says, Jerusalem, a well-built city. Isn't that interesting? Like, why that? Built as a place of worship, the city to which the tribes ascend. All God's tribes go up to worship. Um, so they're going, the Hebrews are journeying up to this place of worship. Geographically, it was the center of the country. It was the political seat of authority. Now, that's not why they went there but it's where it happened to be. It's where the temple was. And, and it was where everything that, um, that God said was remembered or celebrated. I want to tell you, growing up, I can remember specific times in my life, especially as a teenager, when I went to church, it was a pivotal point in my life. The pastor just said something. I'm going through my teenage years, and... It spoke to me. Uh, I didn't plan it. It's a place where things are remembered and celebrated for them. You know, a lot of people, when they came from their village, they couldn't even read. And they probably, no, assuredly, did not have the Scripture. They couldn't unroll it and read it, if they could read. So, coming to the house of God, it was a place you remembered. When you went to Jerusalem, you encountered great foundational realities that God created you, that He redeemed you, and God provided for you. You saw and you heard, proclaimed in Scripture, powerful historical truths. I, I love reading the Old Testament and taking a story. And go, man, look what, they, look what they did. You know, it's, it's interesting. You know, when you read the Old Testament, so many times we want to, we, we want to, okay, Samson, he did this. We want to look at Samson. What can I learn out of Samson's life? You know what the Old Testament is for? The Old Testament points to Jesus. If you think of Jesus in every single story, you see a type of Christ. Like if we just had the New Testament and not the Old Testament, it would be really hard for that story to make sense without the Old Testament. But the Old Testament is not necessarily what Joshua did at Jericho. Or what we can learn from the women with the issue of blood. Yes, we're going to learn great truths, but it's about pointing to Jesus. That's why we have 
that Old Testament. That's why it is so important. And that's what they would learn. They would go to church and they would go to Jerusalem and they would hear all these truths about what happened, right? It was exciting for them that God forgives sins. He makes it possible for you to live without guilt. You know, I was just thinking of, of when Jesus turned, overturned the tables. And, you know, it was about selling things. The money changers were changing money. Okay, I got to make a sacrifice, so I, needed, I, I got a dove. I got to buy a dove. And they were making money off of sacrifices. So Jesus comes in there and goes, man, you have turned my house into a, into a den of robbers. You know, he throws the tables over. He was not, not a happy camper. But they learned and they saw, what, what if you were there when Jesus did that? What if you were there? You would have gone, man, did you see Jesus? Look what he did. He just, he just, wow. Like, these guys aren't doing right. They really are making money off us. And their hearts aren't right. This is a religious festival. You see what I mean? Anything can go awry. In Jerusalem, everyone's scattered, fragmented perceptions and experiences and their bits and pieces of truth, they were put together in a single wholeness. King James Version translate, and I remember I just read, Jerusalem is a well-built city. Built as a place of worship. King James says, Jerusalem is, is built as a city that is compact together. One commentary said, it is a city that is at unity in itself. The city itself was kind of an architectural metaphor for what worship is. All the pieces of masonry fit compactly together as building stones that fit harmoniously. There were no loose stones, no leftover pieces, no awkward gaps in its walls or towers. It was a well-built, compactly built, skillfully built. It was a unity with itself. That's what the scripture says. And what's architecturally true is also socially true. Verse 4 continues, to which the tribes ascend all God's tribes. Do you get that? All the different tribes, all different people, all different thoughts um, coming together, uh, functioning as a single people harmoniously. And in worship, we come together from different places. And we demonstrate that we're after the same things, the principles and truths and actions. And yet, in worship, we all have different levels. We all have different levels of experience. We have different levels of wealth, of language, of rivalries, of even resentments. In worship, we're gathered into a single whole, a single structure. Quarrels, misunderstandings, 
differences, they can become insignificant. God builds unity in the act of worship. The church is beautiful. Sometimes I look at people and I'm going, man, I wish I had that gift. Or, man, I'm glad I don't got that gift. You know, like, like, or that attribute or that character. Man, we're all, we, we, iron sharpens iron, right? You can only do that when you're together. Iron sharpens iron. So that's, that's why, why we come together. He builds unity. It produces a border to your life. It produces a framework, a solid structure. And week by week, we enter that place that's compactly built. Number two is worship nurtures our need to be in relationship with God. In relationship with God. It's a place that we obey the command to praise God. We give, verse 4, give thanks to His name. It's a decree. It tells us what to do. How to praise when we mess up. That God doesn't leave us. He enters our trouble. Augustine said this, a Christian should be an alleluia from head to foot. And that's the reality that God made us and He redeemed us. He provides for us. The natural, the honest, healthy, logical response. The way that we need to respond, what's logical and healthy and natural is praise to God. The psalm says it does not matter whether you feel like it or not. We should never say, I worship when I feel like it because feelings are great liars. Feelings are important, but completely unreliable in matters of faith. I can promise you, the person in front of you, or beside you, or in back of you, that had their hands up, raising, hands raised in worship, it had a problem this week. It wasn't about feelings. It was about, God, I give it to you. In faith, I give it to you. It's not about, it's not about feelings. Bible teacher Paul Shearer says this. He calls this the age of sensation. We think that if we don't feel something, there could be no authenticity in doing it. You ever done that? All right. I'm a hypocrite. I'm coming to church, raising my hands. Five minutes ago, I was cussing. And should you raise your hands? Absolutely. Give it to God. But the wisdom of God says something different. That we can act ourselves into a new way of feeling much quicker than we can feel ourselves into a new way of acting. I think I need to read it again. We can act ourselves into a new way of feeling much quicker than we can feel ourselves into a new way of acting. Worship is not an act that develops feelings for God, not a feeling for God that is expressed in the act of worship. When we obey the command to praise God and worship, our deep essential need to be in a relationship with God is nurtured. So be nurtured. And last... Worship centers our attention on the decisions of God. Verse 5 describes worship as a place where the thrones for judgment, the thrones for righteous judgment are set there, uh, famous David thrones. So that word judgment, 
uh, the decisive word, it's a decisive word by which God straightened things out. There's a judgment that, that, that we receive. Uh, thrones of judgment, they're places of decisive words. In other words, God's judgment's going to reign in the situation. I'm going to have the worship team come up, but listen up because I got another really good quote uh, from Eugene Peterson. And as, as we end here, uh, judgment means more like divine law. It's, an, it's a participant's right or privilege. So in worship, it's like, what's my right? What's my privilege? God, he's a God of judgment. It's divine. And he showers that on you. It puts love in motion. It applies mercy. It nullifies wrong. And it orders goodness. And it's everywhere in worship from the beginning to the end. When Luis comes up here and he greets you. From when the worship band starts and they, and they, they play worship music. And the lyrics that we sing are biblical. and Or hopefully. Um, sometimes there's a lot of license. But biblical and according to God's word. You know, when, when we sing and to the preaching of the word and you take what you can and spit out the other, right? right. It's about learning. It's about growing to the end. Our memories are refreshed with the divine laws of God and what he says. Eugene, Eugene Peterson writes, there is simply no place where these can be done as well as in worship. If we stay at home by ourselves and read the Bible, we are going to miss a lot. For our reading will be unconsciously conditioned by our culture, limited by our ignorance, not stupidity, ignorance, and distorted by unnoticed prejudices. In worship, we are part of the large congregation where all the writers of Scripture address us where the hymn writers use music to express, express truths that touch us, not only in our heads, but in our hearts. Or the preacher who has just lived through six days of doubt, hurt, faith, and blessing with the worshipers, speaks the truth of Scripture and the language of the congregation's present experience. We want to hear what God says and what he says to us, worship is a place where our attention is centered on these personal and decisive words of God. And then it talks about that last verse, having pray for the peace of Jerusalem. That peace brings us, that prayer, it brings peace and security. That's what it does. It brings me peace. It brings me security. It makes my head lift up. So, you know, in closing, I just want to say as we start this new year, let's have a heart. Let's have a heart to not just be faithful, but joyful. <laughs> oh, I can't wait! I get to go to church. I get to be a part. And listen, if God's called you to do something, here's another thing. Um, if God's called you to do something, and maybe you have a gift and you want to use it, then maybe it's maybe just do something in a small group, or or God's really called me to this, or I want to do more in the city. Then and God lays it on your heart then that's what leadership is for. That's what it's about. It's about empowering. You know, someone recently, someone came to this church and, and uh, this, well, we really want to go to a church that, you know, maybe does more in the community, although we work with the Dream Center. And of course, there's more that we can do. Obviously, it's endless what you can do. But I'm like, well, why leave? Start it. 
Like, why does it always have to come from here? You're the church. What do I want to do? Facilitate. That's why we have the Entrusted series. Think so we can just spend the money? No, it's so we can send money to Las Romeras and, and, and do missions. Or we can, you know, help this certain project or do something. It's not limit. It's not limitless with the funds, but it's about the body of Christ coming together, everybody pooling their talents and their hearts and doing something for God. Don't leave, start it. That's what it's about. It's, I'm telling you, church is beautiful, but the body of Christ, I, I like to say that the hope of the world is the local church. Some people say that a lot. It's Jesus, but it's Jesus. It's the local church. We were told to be here. I love online too. Online's great. There's something about iron sharpens iron. How you bless me when you come up to me and say, hey, Pastor Rodney, you know, like, um, great service, great sermon. Or you come up and say, you know, you, you kind of missed it here. And that's okay. Because I'm not about being right all the time. I want to be, I want to, first of all, be right before God, but I'm a teachable person too. I don't have all the answers. Um, yeah, I just certainly don't. Lord, help us love you more and more and more. Help us to be the answer to life's situations, not always the need. Help us, God, to passionately serve you with the gifts that you've given us. Help us to be faithful, Lord. God, help us to be disciples in this world with a teachable heart. God, help us to be pilgrims knowing that this is not our home. Help us, God, to not love the world, but to love you. Help us, Lord, to see the local church as beautiful. God, more than anything, help us to be thankful, Lord, that we really do live in a free country where we can do it, where we can be together. Thank you, Lord, for the freedom that we have. We don't take it for granted. That can go away. I know there's laws right now that are always before our governments that want to limit that. We thank you, Lord. Help us to be your children with a love for the church, with a love for the gospel, with a love for people, and invite them and let them feel your presence. If you don't have a relationship with the Lord, it's real simple. John 3.16, I think, is the, one of the most known scriptures for a reason. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him won't perish but of everlasting life you, you know what you get by turning your heart to to the lord you get life it's real simple you're dead you were dead there's judgment and you got life i don't know who would turn that down maybe there's a lack of faith and you know i pray that the holy spirit would draw you uh, if that's the case and if you're here and you need to be a little bit more obedient, then let that be your prayer. God, you've given me gifts in town. Tell me to be obedient to you. Amen. Thanks for hanging out with us at Generation. You can connect with us on Facebook or Instagram at Generation Pensacola or go to the website at generationpensacola.com and from wherever you download your podcasts. If today's teaching impacted you, 
We'd love to hear about it, so please drop us a note.